There are people who enjoy talking about and working with the energy of crystals, and others who just love exploring the world of the ET and UFO phenomenon. But what if the two were inextricably linked? What if interaction with one could trigger contact with the other? Kyle Russell, a crystal expert and self-described geosentient, is someone who can attest to how his own early interaction with a very powerful stone called Moldavite acted as a bridge into a bizarre and very different yet strangely familiar world. Kyle's story is unique, and so is his philosophy on the metaphysical and energetic use of crystals. Anyone who has even just a casual interest about the energy of the mineral kingdom will find this discussion fascinating. And for those who have worked with crystals in a very traditional way, after listening to what Kyle had to say, may just want to reconsider shifting their entire ideas about how these magical stones work. Take a listen. Well, as many of you who follow Higher Journeys know, we like to cover a variety of subjects that explore the unusual, yes, the metaphysical, what I like to call the subterranean aspects of reality. We've discussed everything from out-of-body experiences to near-death experiences to consciousness and quantum reality, intuition, synchronicity, you name it, we've pretty much covered it here. But one area that I have yet to discuss on this show, surprisingly, after being on the air since 2012, are the energetics and metaphysics of the mineral kingdom, crystals and their complex, powerful and magical presence in our lives. Now, just so you know, I have been a crystal and mineral collector really all of my life. I've worked energetically with crystals for many years and still do, but I've always had a bit of an atypical relationship with them, you might say. And my exploration into stones from that perspective still unfolds for me to this day. I've been wanting, guys, to do an episode on the metaphysics of crystals for years, and I have searched, you might say, the world over for someone to come on the show and discuss their qualities from a more unconventional perspective. Now, you know what they say, oftentimes that which you were searching for is right under your nose. Well, such is the case here with today's guest. I serendipitously discovered the work of Kyle Russell and his extraordinary grasp of the mineral kingdom, and moreover, discovered that he lives and works literally minutes away from me here in eastern Massachusetts. I love it. So I am thrilled. I am over the moon, you guys, to welcome for the very first time to Higher Journeys to discuss a subject that is truly close to my heart and my chakras, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Kyle Russell. Welcome, my friend, my new friend, my new BFF. How are you? <laughs> I am good. Thank you so much, Alexis, for inviting me. I'm very honored because I've now learned about your work, and I'm so impressed and in awe at the body of sort of research and relationships and interviews and well, thank you. Um, community that you have built and that you're a part of. Yes. Well, I have to say I'm the luckiest gal on the planet, and I say that frequently, and I mean that because I get to work with people like yourself and really the what I call the thought leaders of this planet, so... Uh, it's just fabulous to have you here, and thank you so much for your kind words. Well, listen, again, a treat when I found out that you were neighboring, uh, literally neighboring the town that I live in. So I had the pleasure, couldn't wait to get there, visiting your brick-and-mortar crystal shop here in Arlington, Massachusetts, recently, called Portal Crystal Gallery. And I have to tell you, I was like, as you know, a kid in a candy store. I'm still dreaming about that citrine, by the way. 
little little <laughs> offline chat we'll have later. But Kyle, you have such an impressive collection of stones, very unique and special, all of them, each of them. But you also have an equally unique and special experience that helped launch you on this journey of working so intently with the mineral kingdom. And it has to do with Moldavite. So I'm wondering if you would be willing to share in somewhat abbreviated form your first interaction with Moldavite and how it was so instrumental in uh, not only bringing you down this path, but also connected to what I would call the beginnings of a UFO contact experience. And had to get that in there because after all, you're listening to Higher Journeys, folks, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I would love for you to talk about it. Can you give us a story? And I say abbreviated, but give, give us the, you know, the, the, give us the story. We want to hear what happened because it's fascinating to hear. Surely. I'll give you a little background, which is that I had done high school in Brazil, which, of course, is a crystal capital of the world. But although I had uh, bought a few crystals here and there, just casually with my family, and we had been to a mining town and met with some jewelers, I didn't really have you know, an overt affinity or excitement or passion about them until this unusual afternoon in 1987 when a co-worker at my natural food store invited me to join her as she journeyed up to what we call the North Shore here mm -hmm. to visit the uh, Heaven and Earth store, which uh, was owned by the exceptional duo, uh, Robert Simmons and his wife. And they have since gone on to write many books and become truly uh, thought leaders in their own right in this area. But I didn't know that. I was just coming along for the ride, and after my friend purchased a few small tumbled stones, and she was just about ready to go, Robert had asked me if I knew about Moldavite, and he had a little case full of it on his, you know, counter, under the glass, whatever, and he told me the mystery of it, that it had dropped, I think, now around 16 million years ago, uh, that it had hit over uh, Czechoslovakia and that this incredible amount of molten alien earth glass was created because of the impact. So once the impact happened, it, all of these space and earth elements melted together and the explosion took it high up into the sky and the little glass uh, sort of fragments became little sort of craters, little balls like the moon, and then came down to Earth and were sort of spread out over a wide area due to the wind and then later weather, rivers, etc. So he told me a shortened version of the story, and I was like, okay, that's great. Um, and I thought he looked a little strange. Hmm. He had what they call sanpaku, where you see the whites under people's eyes. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and his wife also has a very interesting shaped uh, head. Uh, I think at that time they both looked a little bit different than they do now. But I knew that I was in the presence of some unusual people, and he said, hey, I'd like for you to have this. And he gave me a little piece of Moldavite, less than an inch long. Um, I imagine it had to be worth 60 or $80 and and he just put it in my hand and i was very surprised because 
I didn't, I, I wouldn't think that he would be generous like that to someone who was a total stranger mm. who hadn't shown any interest in the stones. And I said, okay, thanks very much. And we left the store. Um, any questions so far? Should I just keep going? Keep going. I know the story, oh. so I'm, I'm just I'm trying to imagine uh, what the the looks on the journeyers. I call my audience the journeyers. Uh, once you tell them the you're getting to the good stuff, so keep it moving. Okay, <laughs> well, be I like, popped wow. the stone into my right pocket, as I recall, and we got in the car, and I was the passenger because I didn't drive yet at that time, and all of a sudden I could feel all this energy galactic and earthly energy it felt like it was coming from above and also coming up through my leg like all energy from all directions almost like these black roots or tendrils were all just feeding in energy through my body towards the my pocket where the stone was and it was so incredibly intense that i took the stone out and i put it on the uh, floor of the car because I, I couldn't really be in contact with it. It was so physically intense. Um, and after that, I believe it was that night, I had the strangest dream. Um, I was in my store, the same store that we worked in, and I was, you know, I was in the produce department, but I was putting out some stuff by the front window, and this nondescript woman comes up to the window, and uh, she was shortish white woman and with maybe dyed blonde hair short hair and uh very nondescript but she looked at me through the glass and she opened her mouth and this sound came out of the mouth that i had never heard before it was the most intense and sort of uh all-encompassing sound and i looked around to see if anyone else had heard her and found myself responding to her in this same language so she said something to me and i said something back to her and it was so and i don't know if i realized what was said in the moment but when you have an intense dream like that you tend to like wake up bolt upright and mm -hmm. that happened for me i opened my eyes and was looking straight up at the mantelpiece where this moldavite was so I put two and two together that the Moldavite had had brought about this experience, and then I calculated what it was that the communication consisted of. Mm -hmm. And so what she had said to me was, the spaceship is over us right now. You can come back. And my response to her was, no, I'm not coming back. I've been here too long. I'm staying. So it was a it was a, a, a kind of a confrontational uh, communication because even though she wasn't uh, forcing me, it was sort of an open-ended offer. Mm -hmm. um, I I felt a sort of uh, not a violent but a but a, a an active pushback to say no that is that is simply not in the cards that is not going to happen. Um, I've been too here too long and I'm not going back. Well, then I had a couple of follow-up visions, two of which I think I might have shared in a secret video <laughs> that I've made on mm -hmm. YouTube. Um, but one of them, I was asked to show up for a job interview, but uh, told explicitly not to inform anybody about where it was or you know who it was who was asking, etc. And I caught on again during the dream that this was not 
a good thing, that basically I was being set up for an abduction, which I was not interested in participating in. So I, I nixed that. I turned away from that. And then the third dream that I had, I was with a woman friend in a great big cathedral, which turns out either was or was identical to this cathedral that you and I talked about, Alexis. In Barcelona? Thank you. And it's called the... Sagrada Familia by Antonio Gatti. That's the (laughs) one. I love the place. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So that I was in a cathedral like that. And I said to her, look, you know, we need to we need to get out of here because this place is going to blow. And the sounds that started happening in this cathedral were those same sounds that I had heard from this woman, this sort of alien emissary. And the sounds that I later learned, since I had heard it when when people started talking about toning and harmonic singing, I realized that harmonic singing and toning, where you can make your voice resonate sort of on multiple frequencies, so mm-hmm. instead of like five notes, it's like a chord, but it's it's very, uh, it sounds like a whistle, and it's it's very sort of abstract and intangible. It's not like what you would hear on a piano, per se. Sure. It's, a, it's, it's something that only uh, someone with our vocal tone or some other type of extraterrestrial vocal tone could produce. Um, so we were in this, in this, in this uh, cathedral, and I remember running downstairs and trying to make it out the door, and maybe we got out the door, and literally this entire structure started to dematerialize. That means it became atomically unstable and uh, almost turned into, like, static of, of television static. Hmm. Um, so, and, and that brings me back, and I don't even know if I mentioned this, if, if I may just bring up a recurrent dream that used to happen when I was a kid. Go for it. Yeah. Um, and in this dream, an entity would come to the door and would open the front door, and I'm actually got chills telling this story uh, and the other story because it's also very intense, and when I bring it up, it, it becomes very real um, and, and very sort of present and current. Um, so this entity would come to the front door, and they would open the door and come up to my bedroom and it was dark and they were physically made up of that type of TV static. So it was a humanish form, but it was also a ghostly form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would touch me. Their finger would touch me and I would feel this sort of huge um, electromagnetic something, kind of like when you scratch on a blackboard um, that was the sensation that I experienced. And this dream happened at least a half dozen times. You said as a child when you were younger? When I was much, much younger, I was a child, you know, Mm. under 10. Um, So I'm going to stop you there, uh, uh, Kyle, because there's just so many, forgive another pun, dimensions to to all of this, (laughs) probably literally as well as figuratively. And before I lose this 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 initial visit with uh the simmons robert simmons who i'm very familiar with he wrote the landmark book with naisha uh, asian uh, the book of stone several editions in fact i want to go back to that first in his sort of i don't know 
feeling that he needed to give you this Moldavite. The way you describe, now I, I had not heard you do this before, but describing the appearance of uh, Robert Simmons' eyes, as well as the shape of his wife's head, Am I getting that you may have had a sense that they may not have been what they purported to be? I'm going out on a limb here because I never heard you bring that in before. In other words, were they what they appeared to be? And why did they give you this Moldavite? Did they, I'm going to pack all of this in because I think we do need to unpack this a little bit. It seems right. as if at some level they may have known that the Moldavite would act as a door opener for you for Kyle, not for the woman you were with, not for anybody else, but for you. Thoughts right. on that? Well, it's possible because, I mean, another word that I had not been familiar with until after that whole experience was the word stand-ins. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, a stand-in is an alien who takes human form. Yes, or walk-in. It, it can also right. be used walk-in. That's correct. Okay, great. Okay. So on that basis, based on your question, I would not put that past them. Um, I have since met them because I did his four-day workshop in Vermont um, in 2015 or 16. And I met them again literally after 30 years, 87, 97, 07, 17, 30 years. I had not met them in all that time. Hmm. And I know they had gone on to write books about Moldavite and um, that they included many people's stories. And at some point along the line, maybe even after the, story, the book was published, I sent them, I think, my story. But we hadn't really communicated in any substantive way. And when I met them this time, I didn't get that same sense as I had gotten back when. Interesting. Because that is sense that I got back, and I, and I, well, I should tell you some of the aftermath, that the, the aftermath of that experience was that suddenly I knew all kinds of information. Um, I had had this incredibly sort of scary, phobic experience, but the take-home message, the end result, was that I was left with all this information, and so that everything that happened then before then, after then, started to take on a sort of uh, supernatural glow of additional knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I believe that is just crowding into my head right now, because at that point I, I started working with people and doing intense work with, you know, spirit work like exorcisms and things like that. Um, but one of the things that I learned very immediately is that uh, spirits can take inanimate form mm -hmm. so a spirit can embody you know a chair or something um, and and likewise a person can be possessed with certain energies and certain uh, entities for a period of time and then later not be possessed by those things mm -hmm. absolutely yeah there are many so many iterations kind of, yeah. yeah I don't know if that answers your question though. I think so I think we're kind of hinting at the same thing that there may have been some overshadowing of these two individuals at that time for whatever reason. But again, I think you're the focus, Kyle Russell. You're the focus here coming from wherever it was emanating from. And, you know, we're thinking of, you know, when, when I heard, first heard you tell the story of the Moldavite, and I'm very familiar, I have a piece of Moldavite, and I uh, was introduced to it through the work of, of uh, Simmons himself. Uh, I Not all Moldavite is... Uh, <laughs> 
the, the same or, or certainly the response of the individual interacting with it will not be the same. I think that goes holds true for probably most stones. But for you, for some reason, the Moldavite, that piece of Moldavite was to open up, uh, um, I want to say portal, but it's something else, a memory, a floodgate. You know, I recall you saying that you felt that the Moldavite in, in this regard took you too high too quickly, and I quote, and it sounds somewhat similar to a sudden kundalini breakthrough that people have. They're kundalini breakthroughs that are kind of gradual, and some just catch you off guard. And some say that when these happen, they can be extremely devastating. I've heard of people that have not made it through uh, one of these just acute breakthroughs. Uh it sounds somewhat similar, but I think it was opening up a, a, a gate or a doorway or a corridor to a whole lifetime of memories. And I'm tempted to say, have you thought about doing a regression? <laughs> <laughs> because there's a I lot have there. Not, I haven't actually. And at that time, I was much more sensitive to identifying people's past lives. But I have a little metaphor that I think will help us understand this. I, it's helping me understand this experience a little bit better. Imagine someone violently breaks in through your front door, and then they leave. And then you turn around, and you see that they've left a gift on your table. That's a pretty strange circumstance, because it, 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 under the guise of what seems like a horrible, unpleasant experience, you suddenly get left with this gift mm. that keeps on giving, which for me, I mean, the way I interpret it is that they gave me an understanding about the stones that I would definitely not have had otherwise, mm -hmm. and they gave me an understanding that was a that was connected in the sense that it came through Robert Simmons. I don't know if he was conscious of it at the time or even really since, because when we met and we talked a little bit about it, there was no particular resonance or, you know, I mean, I felt like he treated me better than he would a stranger, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like a, an, an ancient homecoming, per se. Did he recall the visit so many years before with you? I don't know that he specifically recalled it. Okay. Um, well, I, I don't even, that didn't. Yeah, I mean that's a long time, and 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 it's a long time. right. So that would be understandable. But again, the the sense and and putting all of this together, Kyle, is that perhaps it was that moment in time, whatever guys, if at all, that they took, uh, that guys or that energy, let's just say, needed to give you that to open this door, crash open this door, and give you this gift, among which you say is something called geosentience. Now, we know yes. that someone that's geosentient is uh, someone who's uh, sensitive to, hypersensitive to weather, as an example. But I believe in this context, you're talking about geosentient having to do with understanding the stones in their inherent form. Is that correct? Precisely. Okay. And it's a term that I sort of came off because I've heard people, you know, uh, clairaudient, and, you know, there's all these different types of psychic abilities and mm -hmm. skills, and geosentient struck me as one that described what my experience was. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's what, that was the gift that they 
left me. And what happened is, oh, and this, I wanted to touch back on something you said earlier, which I think is very important, which is that not all Moldavites are created equal. And the analogy that I use to explain that is that you can have a tray of Moldavites, and a tray of Moldavites is like a tray of cell phones. All of them might look the same, or they could be different models, different sizes, shapes, generations, etc. Now, one of those might just connect you with the corner pizza guy, mm-hmm. but a second one could connect you to some galaxy far away. So, so there is no one-to-one relationship to say, well, all of them are the same. And there are many stones for which one really is similar to every other one. Sure. They're all, they're, they, they all deliver a sort of common energy. Right. Moldavite is not one of those. Moldavite okay. is a special thing. Well, I want to get into that. I definitely want, want to get into uh, some of the attributes that are uh, known from your perspective with these stones. But uh, I had a thought in terms of, I love the analogy, by the way, and I've heard you say it before. I love it. The, the cell phone to the pizza guy down the street or the uh, galaxy next dimension over uh who knows but i'm going to to push this this idea that i think the key element here or the x factor or the operative word is the individual that's interacting with the given stone that perhaps Mm. ignites uh where the cell phone transmission can go perhaps right you've got skin in the game idea Mm. It's you want me to speak a little more on that? Absolutely. Let's go. This conversation, journeyers know how we do. Let's <laughs> go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm locked into my own perspective and view because I'm me. Um, but I think that you're absolutely right, that this was a, a synergistic uh, flame that sparked as a result of me with that mm-hmm. and them all at once. It was like a combination of things that happened. That it's possible that, uh, and and this also sort of, I had had concrete experience with ghosts in the past, but it wasn't until this that I felt like I had had concrete experience with aliens. And so once that had happened, the thought occurs to me that they knew they were going to be in the area. They drew me to that store. They worked through Robert and them in order to convey the Moldavite that was going to be the portal experience. I love it. And and he may not have been conscious of any of those things at the time, mm-hmm. but he played his part. It's like a play, a role. And he played his part, and that brought me into a different place. And now the end result is that I now have a store, and I present for hundreds of people at expos, and it's I <laughs> meet thousands of people at, at at gem shows. And I mean, it's like it's it's a it's a ripple wave that extends out, which is part of why I came up with my company concept name of Crystal Concentrics. It's mm-hmm. because it's like those ripples in a pond that emanate out from the crystals absolutely i'm nodding my head affirmatively kyle because i the first word that comes to mind when we think of the role that that uh robert and his wife for that matter may have played at that moment is catalyst or conduit and i i do feel that all of us act at times uh uh as catalysts for another's journey without our even realizing it that's the beauty and the 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 synchronicity of of life and the human and the human um human soul, really. Very, very uh, powerful. I think there's a book 
in the making here. And I'm not being facetious. I think this story, and I think that there's a lot still for you to discover. I have a sneaking suspicion. Uh, I'm not going to push too much, but we'll, we're going to be talking off long, <laughs> offline so we can <laughs> we can explore that more. Listen, I want to, because I'm watching this clock, I could, I, I'm making a quick decision. We could stay on this path the whole way. It's all going to connect because I think the story in and of itself is really, there's there's something major here. Um or we could move on and to also your... I don't wanna I don't wanna make <clears throat> assumptions, but there's clearly enough for a whole other episode if you wanted to split it into two pieces. I but think it's your call. I well, I think in any case we would have you back. We'll talk about that too. But let's see if we can plow through here because there are a couple of things I want to talk about. One thing that I want to bring up in terms of the, the crystal concentrics, the the inspiration for the names, because you've got several several uh uh portals, shall I say, including mm-hmm. your store portal. Where did that name come yeah. from? Where did that name come from? Um, <laughs> what was the inspiration? A great story. <laughs> One of the things that I specialize in, and sometimes, you know, you, you, living your life is like throwing spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> you, <laughs> you see what sticks. And for me, one of the things that has stuck is meditation. Meditation is a way in which I can convey information about the crystals in a way that people can enjoy and experience in a way that just plain works. And I used to have, uh, in an earlier iteration of my current inner circle meditation group, uh, a gentleman by the name of Lug. And he is a, a, a great big guy who used to put the crystals we were meditating with on his head. And he has since actually passed on to the other side. However, one of the things that he used to do at the end or sometimes in the middle of the meditations was that he would uh, send sound out of his mouth in a way <clears throat> that was like, it was like, I'll, I'll, should I try to reproduce it? Go for it if you think you can. <laughs> it's going to be, it's not going to be on the level of him, but it's basically like it went something like this. So it's like a, 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 a wind, uh-huh. a portal would open up in that situation. And so I was inspired as I was thinking about names of the store, and believe me, there were a bunch on the table, that portal was the best one because it, it, it conveyed that whole concept of a gateway from here to another place, which, of course, is completely appropriate with how I got started in all of this mm-hmm. and with that Moldavite being a portal. And so my hope is that this will be, that the, the, the venue, the location, the physical spot will become a, a portal and a venue. And I've had many people are very happy that we exist and happy to come in and happy to spend time there. And some of them have even said that it's been life-changing for them, that it's like a an umbilical cord for yeah. them that connects them to something very important. Just being in the physical space is what you're what you're saying. Where the the story exactly is. interesting. Exactly. I Never felt mind that even the whole experience. Yeah. Well, I felt that when I walked. Well, of course, you know, when I said kid in the candy store, I'm not kidding you. I, I people that know me well know Kyle how much I absolutely get such a childhood thrill out of being in the presence of stones. And I have a few stories too, but this isn't about me. It's about you. We're going to stay on your story. But yes, there is an energy in that space. No, no surprise because you, you know, it's filled with all sorts of energetic signatures and yet they seem to be in tuned with one another. I think I told you about an experience I had very, very briefly when I was in Sedona 
not that long ago, a month or a couple of months ago, which is the, you know, the home of crystals are everywhere. The crystal store is everywhere. And one store I went into, uh, which had some beautiful specimens, but very discordant for me, energy. I had to leave the store. It was so overwhelming. Mm. So I would imagine anyone that has particularly a brick and mortar location with that much power, you know, there's got to be some sort of um, intuitive guidance in how perhaps you configure the crystals, what you bring into the store, what you opt not to. And yours, I dare say, I don't know if it's if it's been done consciously or not, but it's not discordant in there. It's very harmonic mm. as, a, as a matter of fact. And I'm very sensitive to energy more than I like sometimes. <laughs> but uh, and I got to see some secret spaces, by the way, this place is phenomenal. I know we reach people all over the world. But if you happen to be in Arlington, Massachusetts, I definitely recommend going to the store. But we'll get to that later. I'm going to move on. I'm going to take us down this path for a little bit because I want to hit a few things for sure. I want to talk about let's get into your uh, your philosophy on clearing and programming stones. Now, we know that the books and the workshops and the online sources will offer suggestions on how to both clear and program or charge. You bathe them in sunlight, you bathe them in moonlight, you use intention setting, you smudge, etc. But your ideas about all of this, Kyle, are quite different and fly in the face of much of what's been told. And I love it, by the way. <laughs> Give us your <laughs> thoughts on that. I want to hear what you have to say. And I want everyone to listen, listen up. Tell us what you think. Right. Well, it's funny that when you introduced me, you said that some of my views were untraditional. And I laughed because the whole concept of crystal energies is untraditional in and of itself. And yes. so for me to be sort of rebelling or an outlier from that new canon that is still new over, you know, what mainstream thinking is about all this stuff is really kind of funny that there can be levels and levels of removal from uh, what is conventionally known by people. But what I think has happened is that over the years, a kind of groupthink has set in, mm -hmm. a sort of herd mentality. And that has led to certain manias, such as the obsession with cleansing and clearing and programming. And this is the reason, among others, that since I had my big epiphany and download, I get frustrated, I get physically uncomfortable when I pick up the crystal books out there, or I look things up online, and I read about them, and I can talk about my issues with, with that, independently, but I want to stick with what you asked me, which is the concept of the cleansing, clearing, and um, programming. And the idea for me that's so uh, anathema about that is that I feel it comes from a very uh, human and kind of imperialistic perspective that the stones are there for us to subjugate to our will. Mm, yes. Um, and that bothers me because I think, it, it, to the very contrary, it's we who need to adapt and open up and be sensitive to their will, because they're the ones who have been around way longer than we have. They're much more wise and much more pure energetically than we are. And so the, the blessing for me is to be able to tune into that in a way that doesn't feel like I'm obstructing 
what it's trying to do. And so for me to then say, oh, well, I've got to cleanse and clear every single crystal I get. I mean, first of all, logistically, if you're at a gem show and you buy a thousand stones, trying to do that in any way that isn't just simply perfunctory or cursory or superficial is a waste of time because they're going to come with what they've got, whether you like it or not. And mm -hmm. you can pretend to clear them, but they're doing what they're doing. Um, and then the other the flip side which is which is so sad is that early in the game i had gotten this extraordinary emerald i still have it and it gave me such a powerful and unique jolt and then i cleansed it according to whatever i was told to do and then it lost it it just became inert it went basically from a crystal to being a rock hmm. and the loss was so great that i just i felt like i learned my lesson for good after that and i said you know what if a if a crystal is physically dirty yes if a person who's been around it is either maliciously inclined or um, or very confused energetically, then what you what you're trying to do is you're trying to collaborate with the stone to restore its original frequency okay. and not yeah. be swayed by whatever just happened. Interesting. I was going to ask you about that next, and because there's a lot of you know, okay, so you clear a crystal, but why? What would the reason be? I mean, we know that people, some people are really kind of funky about uh, touching uh, someone's crystal. Don't touch that because your your energetic signature will get, you know. And I think there is a lot of misinformation there, but you answered my question before I asked, in the event uh, that you are uh, planning on owning a crystal that perhaps was owned by someone who was malevolent or evil intended, or like you said, confused, in that case, is there a way that we can, I'm going to use a term that Naisha Asian that I love uses, uh, having to do with, let's call it clearing in this case with sound, but not so much clearing, but resetting it back to its baseline resonant frequency. So it can do what it does, as you say, without any hindrance. So let's use this as a transition to talk about how perhaps sound, which I don't hear too often, but I resonated with that. And when I say sound, I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be tinkshe bells or, or uh, uh, Tibetan singing bowls. It can be Led Zeppelin <laughs> on your speaker <laughs> cranked up 100%. The louder the sound, the more the jolt. It's kind of like the opera singer that can hit this pitch and break the crystal glass. You're shocking it out of whatever it may have been resonating with and bringing it back. This is Naisha's uh, uh, philosophy, not mine, but I resonate with it. What do you think on that? Well, I'm going to use another great analogy. It's brand new, never been heard before. Um, last week, my phone started to act up, and it ended up freezing, and so I took it to get fixed. And what they ended up doing was they did a reset and then a download of the original information. And that seems to me like a really great uh, metaphor because I've previously said that when you get a crystal, it's like a fully loaded computer with all sorts mm -hmm. of awesome software. Why would you want to wipe it clean so that there was no information on it? So just like in my phone, what happens is instead of wiping it clean, all you're doing is allowing it to express itself a way, the way that it was originally intended. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to sound, um, actually for me, I use sound in all of my meditations. Um, the, the basic sound that I'm most fond of is a brass bowl. Um, and then the sounds that I'm next fond of 
are uh, shakers and sticks, and I've started bringing in a rain stick, Mm -hmm. and I have a frame drum, and all of these are designed when you when you hear them to do either of two things one is to create punctuation to create a new portal a new doorway to say you know what we're finished with this room we're at the doorway to the next room and when we hear this sound what we're doing is we're stepping over that threshold into the next room and we're leaving the last room behind so it's punctuation that's one thing another thing is it does is clearing it's uh it it sends like a it's like a light beam that just sort of sends its way it's like a like a like a if you think of a starburst out in space you know the starburst there's like an explosion in space and then there's this sort of like uh circular uh again it's like a a ripple in a pond spreads out through space boom and so when you hear that sound in a meditation you're taking that opportunity to close out the the earlier stage of the meditation and open yourself up to the new stage of the meditation. So for me, loud Led Zeppelin might not <laughs> quite be my first choice. Right. Well, this was more of a, um, how would I describe it? This would be more of a, um, a literal, imagine, you know, a pendulum that's moving in a certain direction and something makes it move in another the harshness, the shock, the jolt of that. And that's, I think that was her point uh, in trying to get whatever you're working with, the crystal, back to its base frequency. The jolt of that sound, the louder it is, the more it will be uh, inclined to go back to that frequency. So it's a different, we're talking about a different process. Yours is a bit more um, somewhat ritualistic. I mean that in a good way, where hers was really more scientific, frankly. Uh, that's in the way I was kind of describing it. And yet, all sound. I mean, these are these are frequencies. I, I wanted to ask you about the Hertz frequency in terms of are you are you are you aware of the Hertz frequencies that you're working with? Uh, and do they come into play uh, when it comes to introducing certain sounds with in this? You program? know, I haven't. I, I, it's all feeling based. Okay. It's Which definitely not science based. Okay. Um, and not that I'm opposed to a science-based approach, but I, I know that there are some big crystal personalities who make it a thing that their work is based somehow on science, and I I reject that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Not, I think everyone not is... That, yeah. not, that there, not that there is no basis in science, uh, but that's not, that's not where I'm coming from. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm reminded of uh, Marcel Vogel as an example, the the consummate uh, IBM scientist who really, uh, I think th- that was his entry point into understanding um, crystals from that perspective. I think I, I, I have to say I have a healthy respect for the science as elusive as it is because it is not. It's a, it's funny we say science versus spirituality, but I think. Uh, Science is, it's theory. <laughs> so whatever your entry right. point is, I think uh, well, they're all powerful. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I make a, a strong point because sometimes I come up against hecklers online who want to trash the whole concept of crystals. Mm. And they pretend that they're coming from a place of science. I think, frankly, they're coming from a place of hatefulness. Absolutely. Um, but that being said, I, in 
all of my defenses. I stand up for science. I stand up for medicine. I think they're extraordinary human endeavors, and they're relevant and have their place. So mm-hmm. I don't want it going on the record that I'm anti-science. Right. But that's just not your entry point. Now, you know, I'll go back to something I, I haven't quoted her for a long time. I'll, I'll say physicist uh, Dana Zohar who I will never forget said something so uh, poignant for me in talking about people who have interactions with those who have crossed over after death or ADC communication. She says, you know, people experience things and science denies the experience because they don't have the instruments of the moment to measure it. And that just goes to show you how fickle and how incomplete science is. So uh, you can have a healthy respect for it and consider it and continue to pursue the endeavor from that perspective, but just know we do not, from a from a scientific perspective, have the instruments, not of the moment, maybe not ever, to measure in the way that you're looking at it. So I respect how how you're coming at this as well. Let's talk about power right. stones. I'm looking at the time, but I'm going to let this go where it needs to go <laughs> as long as it needs to go. It won't be too much longer, but I want to talk about power stones. Can we go there for a little bit? Sure, why not? Okay, tell us what they are from your perspective. So I believe, I mentioned earlier in the interview, the distinction between a rock and a crystal. Now, um, obviously, all rocks are sacred manifestations in the material plane, and so that uh, entitles them to a level of respect. However, for me, crystals get a little bit more respect because what they've done is they've basically, um, they've crystallized. They've taken their um, sort of genetic and uh, molecular structure and they've ordered it to such a point that they could create a clear six-sided crystal. Mm -hmm. And that is something to be... Uh, to be in awe of, and that's true also for, you know, a ruby crystal or a danberite crystal or a topaz. I mean, each of these crystals have a lot of merits, and there are also some materials that are not crystallized that are what we call massive that also have energetic relevance because for whatever reason, the materials and the chemicals and the energies that have come together to make them produce a consistently powerful energy signature. A case in point for that would be lapis or sugilite or sugilite, which is the more fancy way of saying it. Uh, Those do not crystallize, but they still convey a unified and more developed energy than, say, you know, so what you would find in your driveway. Mm-hmm. So does that kind of so those become power stones necessarily? Okay. Well, let's talk about lapis. I know that you talk about that quite a bit, and I do have that in my my um, big collection. Lapis is it lazuli? I can never get it right. Lazuli? I, it is lazuli. Okay, yeah. lapis lazuli, and I can see it in my mind's eye right now, and it's buried somewhere in my pile. But talk about that because you have spent some time talking about the the attributes that are inherent. And the lapis. What are they? From sure. I mean, let me just preface that by saying that even in my crystal meditation and affirmation card deck, I have 80 crystals. So I love many of these stones. I don't actually love or resonate with all of them. Mm. There are some that some people get very excited about that I don't get excited about. And mm-hmm. I can 
tell you a nice little story about that, which is a Robert Simmons story. But to answer your specific question about lapis, lapis for me, each energy zone, because our bodies are uh, connected through the chakra system, and the chakra system also taps into my 10 energy zone system, where most of those energy zones are associated with parts of the body. Mm-hmm. And the lapis taps right in. It's one of the strong, it's probably the strongest voice stone, the most obvious one. Uh, it's blue. The color of the throat chakra is blue. And it's a dark blue relative to, say, turquoise, which is a light blue. So it has a much stronger energy. It's also uh, tempered by the fact that it has pyrite in it, which mm-hmm. is a self stone. So for me, lapis has to do with finding and using your voice. Uh, whether that be in relationships or at work or wherever it is. That's fascinating. And and I think I've heard you bring that up before. And as I, I do a lot of talking and we'll be doing some overseas shortly, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should be either tucking a, a, a lapis uh, in my pocket or have it on the, on the lectern or something. But here's the question I, I want to ask you in terms of I know that you've talked about not using the stones prescriptively, or at least insofar as the books traditionally say, and I tend to feel the same exact way, but that yours was sort of an instantaneous download based on some of the experiences that we talked about earlier. Is that, how are you deriving that that lapis, as an example, is for the voice? Is this something that's, forgive the, the cliche, downloaded to you or where are you getting this from, if I may just be blunt? Sure. <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> um, so the download basically gave me the information. So the w- another analogy, gosh, this is an analogy festival. Um, <laughs> I love analogies. The analogy, but I love it. This one is called the, the, the pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> so I get all this information about the stones, and then what happens is the donkey is us. And I, the stone is the pin, the tail that I'm trying to pin onto the donkey. And so what I do is I can close my eyes, I feel the energy of the stone, and I'm guided to where to stick that in. And what happened was after... 20 plus years, I realized, you know what, it's great that I can do this and I can work on people and I understand this, but in order for me to convey it to other people, I need a system. I need some way of explaining it to other people that makes logical sense so that I can be uh, both spiritually uh, informed but also logically coherent. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I created the system that I did so that I could then say to people, okay, you know, I feel like lapis is connected with the voice, but guess what? There's a throat chakra, and there's all these different energies, and there are these other stones that are tapped into different aspects of the throat or the voice, mm-hmm. just like the heart. And the heart is an interesting one because it has the most variety of colors associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and each of the the heart one is a really easy to to just stray a little bit from the voice for a second, uh, some of the qualities of the heart might be forgiveness or compassion or unconditional love. Those are distinct energies that are all... and, And I would connect a stone to those different energies, and then I'd be like, oh, wow, those different types of energies can all be grouped in the heart energy zone. 
So it's not just like the heart is a one-liner. This is all about, it all begins and ends with this. Mm-hmm. No, there are different, the, the heart is a complex energy zone and different stones tap into different pieces of that pie. You have what you call the 10 energy zones, which I'd like to get into a bit more. And this is fascinating. You say that as you've developed these or acknowledged them really, uh, that every crystal and or mineral will fit into at least one of these zones. Is that true? Correct. Absolutely true. And there is this other dynamic, which is called multi-chakra or harmonic stones. Um, And that that. means they're resonating to a few different energy zones at the same time. Okay. Go ahead and talk talk about that. Maybe you could give us a rundown, uh, Kyle, in the remaining minutes that we have as to perhaps one stone that would fit in each zone. Could you do that or is that too cumbersome for you? <laughs> Ain't nothing too cumbersome ah, for me. I'm being facetious. I know you know. You could probably <laughs> name all of them and put them in each zone. But if you could, just to give leave the people with something that they can work with. And I also, well, I tell you what, let me have you do that first and I'll have a backup question. So many sure. things I want to ask you. So lickety split. <laughs> Foundation is below the feet, below the root, has to do with ancestry. And so a perfect example of that would be any fossil, especially the uh, like the ammonites that represent different layers and levels of growth, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, root. Root is technically at the base of the torso, and it, uh, an example that I'm going to give you of that is, say, rhodochrosite. Rhodochrosite is a root stone that is based there in terms of our essential seminal life energy and our chi and how we get sourced energetically. Three, belly is is where we have uh, most of our digestive system, but I use belly to symbolize all of our internal organs. And a stone that's perfect for that, a very deep version of it is carnelian. Mm-hmm. Carnelian is very symbolic of the digestive system and all of those organs. Moving on up, we get to the solar plexus, and that is what I call the self-energy zone. And a great self-energy zone uh, stone is, say, citrine. Citrine is symbolic of the perfect and unblemished self. Uh, so that is, you know, before it becomes encumbered with insecurities. So there you have the, 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 the self-energy zone, then you move up to the heart. The heart, a great example of a heart stone would be, I'm going to choose uh, smoky quartz. Smoky quartz has to do with forgiveness and detoxification, which is an important quality. When you think of heartbreak and when you think of all the, you know, something's heavy on their heart, um, that, is, that is a way in which that specific stone taps into that specific energy uh, sector of the heart. Then you have a brand new energy zone, which is the healing energy zone, which I have placed sort of uh, in the chest with the lungs and all of the stones whose natural inclination is to restore uh, alignment belong there. And an example is the lavender chalcedony, which is a new and exciting discovery out of Mm -hmm. Turkey. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Moving up, you get to the throat 
the throat, I call it the voice chakra. And the voice chakra or energy zone, uh, we talked about uh, lapis, but I want to bring in my other huge favorite, which is sugilite or sugilite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a purple manifestation stone. It has purple representing spirit, but it has that vocal quality of bringing the unmanifest into the material physical world can i stop you for one second is that also referred to as the um spirit spirit oh what's the name of it i'm seeing a picture of i I have i think everything that you've mentioned but there's something else spirit quartz is that not the same thing It's not, not okay. the same thing. Spirit quartz is from South Africa, too, though. Okay. Uh, it's just a type of quartz, whereas sugilite is its own type of thing. Ah. It's, just, it's a more massive material. It doesn't crystallize per se, although there's a weird fibrous version of it that okay. I don't care about as much. Yeah. Moving on, we get from the throat to the third eye. So the third eye I call the vision energy zone. And the vision stones all have to do with imagination and creativity uh an easy one there would be labradorite because Mm -hmm. of its color play opal is another good example then moving up to what would traditionally be called the crown i don't i don't call it the crown i call it source and so source is actually not it, it yes it could be said that it's on your head top but what's unique about the head top is the head top is a liminal portal place between the physical world and the material and the immaterial world the etheric world and so source actually has to do with spirit community and moldavite or green fluorite fit into that category because they they are stones that invoke and connect us to that place of source be it in space or be it with our god or angels or fairies or whatever you want to call your sort of spiritual informants or companions or guides that's that's what source is so it's a slightly different concept than the uh, crown chakra and last but not least is channel and channel is not even connected to body channel has to do with the um, with the management of energy through space and time so some channel stones are designed like uh, selenite to ease the conveyance of energy. And some channel stones like black tourmaline are designed to stop and block movement of energy. So the channel stones, are, are many of them are black and white. Um, some of them are clear. Some of them are opaque. But there's, there's a rich collection of channel stones, and they all have to do with that modulation of, of, of energy flow fascinating and as you're you you've got a very very definitive beautifully articulated by the way and a very definitive i don't want to say formula but what what goes where pinning the tail on the donkey you sure did that and i'm i was so tempted i, I think i'm just about an arm's reach where i can grab robert's book robert uh naisha <laughs> the book of stones i'm like i'm so tempted to compare and see if there are any correlations there but you know what i'm 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 kind of resonating with what you're saying. And I will say this, in terms of my use of stones over the years, what stone for what? And like I said, I have always had this sort of natural aversion to looking it up, at least looking it up first. 
Kyle, what I find myself doing, and this is in a way developing my own intuitive capacity, is to think about what it is I'm looking to accomplish, whatever it is, doesn't even matter. And envisioning in my mind's eye simply what it will be. The color might come in first, the texture sometimes comes in first, and invariably I'll pick a stone. I will then work with it, or before I even work with it, I will look it up after the fact to see if there's a connect point. And it's almost like a little game that I play. But I do feel that in relying too heavily on written sources or you know what someone else says is perhaps undermining our ability to work and grow with these stones. So I think right. yours is like the perfect blend, to be honest with you. It's, it's really beckoning the intuitive capacity, but also uh, looking at something that perhaps is perennial and age old that is coming through you. Right. And I think that another uh, a great example of that and one of the issues that I have with the crystal lore that's out there is you can take any 10 stones and then look, look at the list of qualities that they have. And what you end up finding is a lot of the exact same qualities juggled into a different order. Hmm. And, 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 and I find that that's, I find that intellectually dishonest because what it's doing is basically finding something great in every stone and so there'll be something for everyone which is fine if you're just trying to sell stones but if you're trying to actually help people land somewhere i think it's it's confusing more than anything and i think what you mentioned the whole idea of the intuitive connection and and this is another story a great story that i like to tell very brief which is that people come to me and they say I've been reading and I've learned that this stone is just like the thing. Uh, Naturalite is the most exa recent example of it. And I ask them, why is it the most important thing? And they generally don't have an answer because it's all in the book. Um, but my recommendation is take the stone that you're excited about, find out why you're excited about it, and open your mind to the possibility that there might be another stone that's more accessible, cheaper, and easier for you to access that could do the exact same thing, especially if you're not an advanced crystal worker. Open your mind, be flexible. You can use, you know, these things are powerful symbolic forces. You mm -hmm. can you can play with it. More, it's, it's less rigid than you'll allow. Absolutely. I concur 100%. And the key is opening opening up whatever that channel is that allows us to to connect non-locally to the field. Like I said, when I'm when I've got a thought in mind, I allow myself whatever that faculty is that can can take me there to show me what it is I need. Chances are I have it in my collection already. Um, right. Let, let me ask you this, and, and then we're going to close this down. This is, I'm looking at, we've gone over, but I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. This has been a long time coming, guys. I had, <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh boy. Let let me ask you this about uh, the use of crystals. I have always felt, and you're going to have to forgive the pun, they serve as a stepping stone, a stepping stone to our growth and our understanding of how we can eventually perhaps work spiritually and energetically without the need to use them, or at least depend on them so much. I do feel that they're teachers or, or maybe a sort of training wheels that eventually we won't need what are your thoughts on that? It's something that I've always felt. Well, here's the here's the, the the meat of the matter. The real 
the thing that is more important than anything is you and your process and your evolution. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the the gold. That's the thing that's key. And what we have to remember is that the stones are tools that we use to inform and support that process. And that process may not always need stones in order to do that. Like, say, for example, you need a medical procedure, and there's nothing that the stone is going to do that's going to remove this tumor. So, But there are things that the stone is going to do that could help prepare your body for the surgery. Mm-hmm. There are things that you can use, use the stone for to dissipate the cancer or whatever it is. I had cancer myself, so I know it's, it's, it's possible to influence those things. So it, to me, it's like your process is your process. And the stones are tools that you use along the way. And there are other tools that you can use, too. I just happen to prefer and have specialized in working with the stones. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of answer? It more than answers. Man, you've done it beautifully. I really want to uh, I want to tell you, I, I'm just so more than impressed. You have your your art. You articulate these ideas and these philosophies so beautifully. You were, I feel, given a gift that I'm sure has taken lots of twists and turns, but you're a gift to the world with what you've acquired. And I have a feeling it's still unfurling for you. Uh, You've answered more than answered uh, the, the questions. This has been a phenomenal conversation. We're gonna have to wind it down. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to have you back. We're, well, I, I, I really appreciate you for having it with me. And I think, like you said before, there's a synergy that happens. And the fact that you have been through all that you've been through makes you both able to ask the questions and create the context for the information to get mm-hmm. manifest. Yeah, it's all it's a lifelong journey, I think, for all of us, frankly. And that's uh, it's all a part of the matrix uh, that True. we uh, live alongside with with our crystal friends. I just love them. I pulled out a bunch of them yesterday after I I watched some of your great stuff, and I'm just like hugging them and loving them, and <laughs> it's just a wonderful. <laughs> it's a beautiful well, there's thing. A, there's an additional honor for both of us today, and that is that my new ultimate Sugi Light pendant, which I think I may have shown you the piece. When you were visiting yes, the store, yes, I think you did. I think you did. I literally got it back today. I literally put it around my neck in the minutes before you called. Ah, it did something. All right. And I'm up. also wearing my big master moldavite at the same time. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I l- listen. D- perfect segue. Hey, you're a great partner, man. This is a great segue to talk about where people can find your great products. Because as I mentioned, you do have a brick and mortar location here locally, but you also have a few. Um, homes online so tell us about that and i'll make sure to link each and every one go for it well everything the central portal if you will is my website crystalconcentrics.com and from there you can find the brick and mortar store you can find the um the youtube channel i've got lots of videos on facebook i've done a lot of facebook lives Mm -hmm. i have a new podcast there's just a lot of great content that you can access right through that site. And I'm working on some free giveaways for the new year and Excellent. also some paid programs. Oh, fantastic. 
So it should be very, very fun. And, of course, the biggest thing, if you are going to Tucson, I will be at the 22nd Street show, and I've got a good-sized booth and a huge graphic design overhaul that is really unveiling Crystal Concentric for the world at that sort of debuting right there at Tucson this year, 2020. And what's the date? What are the dates for that? I'm going to be there January 30 through Feb 16 when oh, the wow. show closes. Oh, that's a long so it's a show. Good, it's three weekends and two full work weeks. Perfect. Oh, I wish yeah. I could be there, but uh, so anyone can. I know. Well, I know you're gonna be you're going places, and I'd like to go to some of the places that you go because you go to some <laughs> cool places. Uh, we both do. We both do. Yeah, and you're you're amongst some cool stuff. Crystal and Mineral Kingdom. I just love it. And I am just tickled pink. I'm tickled pink and blue and yelled all the, the colors in the Crystal Kingdom that you were here today. <laughs> so Kyle, listen, don't oh. hang up. Don't hang up. I want to just say okay. thanks once again. And uh, Journeyers, did you love it? Do you love it? Now I know we've got some Crystal fans out there. I'm going to do, I'm, this is going to be, we're going to call this the debut of uh bringing this subject matter to higher journeys because it's phenomenal and it's constantly, we're constantly learning new things as they reveal the crystals and the minerals reveal their gifts to us. So stay tuned for that journeyers. But in the meantime, as always, I want to thank you for joining us in higher journeys. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care.